Paramatmane Namaha, Yatart Gita, Srimad Bhagavad Gita. Chapter 11 Revelation of the Omnipresent In the last chapter, Krishna gave only a brief account of his outstanding glories. But Arjuna thought complacently that he had known enough. He therefore averred that after listening to Krishna's words, he was rid of all his delusions. At the same time, however, as he admits in the present chapter, he is curious to know what Krishna has told him before in a more tangible form. Hearing is as different from seeing as the East is from the West. When a seeker endeavors towards his destination to see it with his own eyes, what he knows then may be quite different from that which he had visualized. So when Arjun has a direct vision of God, he begins to tremble with fear and beg for mercy. Does an enlightened man know fear? Is he left with any further curiosity? The fact of the matter is that what is known at just the intellectual level is at best vague and undefined. At the same time, however, it definitely prompts to a desire for true knowledge. So Arjun entreats Krishna. Arjun said, The compassionate words with which you have instructed me in the secret and most exalted knowledge have dispelled my ignorance. What Krishna has told him of the relation between the Supreme Spirit and the individual soul has allayed his delusions and filled him with the light of knowledge. For I have learnt from you, O the lotus-eyed, not only a detailed account of the origin and dissolution of beings, but also of your imperishable glory. Arjuna fully believes the truth of what Krishna has told him, and yet... You are, O Lord, what you have told me, but I wish, O Supreme Being, to have a direct vision of your form in all its divine magnificence. Not satisfied with what he has learnt only by hearing, 
Arjun wishes to see it in a palpable form. Manyase yadita chakyam Mayadrashtumiti prabhu Yogeshwara tato metvam Show me, O Lord, your eternal form if you consider, O Yogeshwar, that it is possible to see it. Krishna does not object to this request because Arjun is his devoted pupil and beloved friend. So he readily grants his prayer and reveals his cosmic form. The Lord said, Behold, O part, Arjun, my hundreds and thousands of various celestial manifestations of different hues and forms. Pashyadityan vasun rudra Ashvino marutas tatha Bahunya drishta purvani See in me, O Bharat, Arjun, the sons of Aditi, the Rudra, the Vasu, the Ashwin brothers, and the Marut, as well as numerous other marvelous forms that have not been seen before. Now, O Gudakesh Arjun, see in my body at this one place the whole animate and inanimate world and whatever else you desire to know. Thus the Lord continues to manifest his form through three consecutive verses, but the poor Arjun cannot see anything. He can only rub his eyes in bewilderment. Krishna notices Arjun's predicament, stops abruptly, and says, But since you cannot see me with your physical eyes, I grant you divine vision 
with which you may behold my magnificence and the might of my yoga. Arjun is blessed with spiritual vision by Krishna's grace, and in an exactly similar fashion, Sanjay, the charioteer of Dhritarashtra, is also blessed with divine sight by Yogeshwar Vyasa's compassion. Therefore, what is visible to Arjun is also seen in precisely the same form by Sanjay, and by virtue of sharing the vision, he also shares the good that accrues from it. Sanjay said to Dhritarashtra, After speaking thus, O king, the Lord, the great master of yoga, revealed his supreme, omnipresent form to Arjun. The master of yoga, a yogi himself, and capable of bestowing yoga upon others, is named Yogeshwar. He is, similarly, God, or Hari, Hari, who seizes and carries away everything. If he only does away with grief and spares joy, grief will make a comeback. So Hari is one who destroys sins and has the power of conferring his own form on others. So he, who has been all the time before Arjun, now reveals his all-pervading radiant being. And Arjun beheld before himself the infinite, all-pervading God with numerous mouths and eyes, many wondrous manifestations, decked with various ornaments, carrying many weapons in his hands, wearing celestial garlands and apparel, anointed with heavenly perfumes, and endowed with all kinds of wonder. The marvelous sight is also rendered perceptible to Dhritarashtra, the blind king, the very image of ignorance, by Sanjay, himself the embodiment of restraint. Divisurya 
भवेदुगपदुत्थिता यदि भा सदृशी Even the light of a thousand suns in the sky could hardly match the radiance of the omnipresent God. Pandu's son Arjun then saw in the body of Krishna, the god of gods, the many separate worlds together. Arjun's vision of all the worlds within Krishna is a sign of his affectionate devotion which arises from virtue. Then overwhelmed by awe, and with his hair standing on end, Arjun paid obeisance to the great God, and spoke thus with folded hands. Arjun had also paid homage to Krishna earlier, but now, after having seen his divine majesty, he bows deeper. The reverence he now feels for Krishna is a much more profound feeling than what he had experienced before. Arjun said, I see in you, O Lord, all the gods, hosts of beings, Brahma on his lotus seat, Mahadev, all the great sages, and miraculous serpents. This is direct perception rather than a flight of fancy, and such a clear vision is possible only when a Yogeshwar grants eyes that can see it. A concrete apprehension of reality such as this is accessible only with the proper means. Pashyamitvam sarvatonantarupam 
ಮಧ್ಯಂ ನ ಪುನಸ್ತವಾದಿ ಪಶ್ಯಾಮಿ ವಿಶ್ವೇಶ್ವರ ವಿಶ್ವರೂಪ O Lord of all the worlds, I behold your many stomachs, mouths, and eyes, as well as your infinite forms of all kinds. But, O oh, the Omnipresent, I can see neither your end, your middle, nor your beginning. Kiritinam gadinam chakrinam cha ತೇಜೋರಾಶಿಂ ಸರ್ವೀಪ್ತಿಮಂತ ಪಶ್ಯಾಮಿ ದುರ್ನಿರೀಕ್ಷೀಪ್ತಾರ್ಕದ್ಯುತಿಮೇಯ ಐ ಸೀ ಯು ಕ್ರೌಂಡ್ ಆಂಡ್ ಆರ್ಮ್ಡ್ ವಿತ್ ಅ ಮೇಸ್ ಆಂಡ್ ಅ ಶಾಕ್ರ ಲೂಮಿನಸ್ ಆಲ್ ಓವರ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಬ್ಲೇಸಿಂಗ್ ಫೈರ್ ಆಂಡ್ ದ ಸನ್ dazzling and immeasurable we have here an all-embracing enumeration of the glories of krishna such is his celestial brightness that eyes are blinded if they try to see him he is beyond comprehension by the mind however arjun can perceive him because he has completely surrendered all his senses to him and he is so awed by what he sees that he resorts to flattering panegyrics by praising some of krishna's many qualities tvamaksharam paramam veditavyam tvamasya vishvasya param nidhanam tvamau vyayah shashvata dharma gopta I believe that you are Akshar, the imperishable God who is worthy of being known, the supreme goal of the self, the great haven of the world, keeper of eternal dharm, and the universal supreme spirit. These are also the qualities of the self, He too is universal, eternal, unmanifest, and imperishable. The sage attains to the same state after his worship is brought to successful completion. That is why the individual soul and the Supreme Spirit are said to be identical. I see you without beginning, end or middle, possessed of boundless might, innumerable hands, eyes like the sun and the moon, and a face as bright as fire. lighting up the world with your radiance at first krishna reveals his numerous forms but now he appears as one and infinite however 
What are we to make of Arjuna's statement that while one eye of God is like the sun, the other is like the moon? What is required is that these words should not be taken literally. It is not that one eye of God is bright like the sun, while the other is dim like the moon. The meaning of the statement is rather that both brightness, such as that of the sun, and serenity, such as that of the moon, emanate from him. Both the radiance of knowledge and the calm of tranquility. The sun and the moon are only symbols here. God shines upon the world like both the sun and the moon, and he is now seen by Arjuna as infusing the entire world with his dazzling radiance. And, O Supreme Being, the whole space between heaven and earth is filled up by you, and the three worlds are trembling with fear at the sight of your divine but terrible form. Amihitvam surasangha vishanti Kechidvita pranjalayo grinanti Svastityuktva maharshi siddha sangha Stuvantitvam stutivhi pushkalavhi Multitudes of gods are dissolving in you while a host of them are fearfully extolling your name and glories with folded hands and repeatedly pronouncing benediction. Hosts of great sages and men of attainment are singing sublime hymns in your praise. The Rudra, sons of Aditi, Vasu, Sadhya, sons of Vishwa, the Ashwin, Marut, Agni, and hordes of Gandharva, Yaksh, demons, and men of achievement are all looking up at you with marvel. Gods, Agni, and multitudes of Gandharva, Yaksha, and demons are looking with wonder at the omnipresent form of Krishna. They are amazed because they are unable to comprehend him. They do not, in fact, have the vision with which they can view his essence. Krishna has said earlier that men with demoniacal nature and the vulgar regard and address him as a petty mortal, whereas, although possessed of a human body, he really dwells in the Supreme God. That is why gods, Agni, and hosts of Gandharva, Yaksha, and demons are all looking up at him with amazement. They are unable to see and grasp the reality.
महत्ते बहुत्र नेत्र महाबाहो बहुबाहुपादम बहुदरम बहुदंष्ट्राकम दृष्ट्वा लोका प्रव्यथितास्तथाहम Looking at your colossus form with its many mouths and eyes, hands, thighs and feet, stomachs and dreadful tusks, oh the mighty armed Krishna, all beings are struck with terror and so am I. Both Krishna and Arjuna are possessed of mighty arms. The one whose sphere of action extends beyond nature is quote, "mighty armed." whereas krishna has achieved perfection in the field and arrived at its furthest extent arjuna has been just initiated and is yet on his way his destination is yet far away now when he looks at the universal form of krishna like others he is also awed by the incomprehensible greatness of god स्पृशम दीप्तमनेकवर्णम व्याताननम दीप्त विशालनेत्रम दृष्ट्वा हितवां प्रव्यथितांतरात्मा धृतिं न विंदामि शमञ्च विष्णो When I look at your enormous dazzling form that reaches right up to the sky with its numerous manifestations wide open mouth and huge glowing eyes O Vishnu my inmost soul trembles in fear I am bereft of courage and peace of mind Danstrakaralani chate mukhani Since I have lost my sense of direction and joy by beholding your faces with their frightening tusks and flaming like the great conflagration that is believed to consume the world in the event of doom i entreat you o god of gods to be merciful and pacified ami chatvam dhritarashtrasya putrah sarve sahaivavani palasanghai And I see Dhritrashtra's sons along with many other kings, Bhishma, Dronacharya, Karn, even the commanders of our side, and all. तंष्ट्राकराला भयानकानी 
केचिद्विलग्ना दशनान्तरेषु संदृश्यन्ते चूर्णितैरुत्तमांगै Beings rushing wildly into your dreadful mouth with its terrible tusks and some of them lying between your teeth with crushed heads. Yatha nadinam bahavom buvegah Samudra mevabhimukhadravanti Warriors of the human world are flinging themselves into your flaming mouths just as numerous rivers plunge into the ocean. Currents of rivers are furious themselves and yet they rush into the ocean. Even so, multitudes of warriors are rushing into the fiery mouths of God. They are men of courage and valor, but God is like the ocean. Human strength is nothing against his might. The following verse illustrates why and how they hurl themselves into him. Pradeeptam Jwalanam Patanga Vishanti Nashaya Samritha Vega Tathaiva Nashaya Vishanti Loka Tavapi Vaktradi Samritha Vega They cast themselves into your mouths for their destruction just as flying insects fling themselves into the flame. Lelihase grasamana samantat Lokan samagran vadanair jvaladhi Tejo bhirapurya jagat samagram Bhasastavogra Devouring all the worlds with your flaming mouths and licking your lips, your intense luster is consuming the whole world by filling it with its radiance. This is clearly a portrayal of the dissolution of unrighteous properties in God, after which even the utility of the treasure of divinity is dispensed with. Righteous properties, too, then merge into the same self. Arjun sees the Kaurav warriors, and then the warriors of his own army, vanishing into Krishna's mouth. So he pleads with him. Since I am ignorant of your nature, O primal being, and wish to know its reality, 
I pay my humble obeisance and pray you, O Supreme God, to tell me who you are in this terrible form. Arjun wishes to know who Krishna is in his immense form and what he intends to do. He does not yet fully understand the ways in which God fulfills himself. Thereupon Krishna speaks to him. The Lord said, I am the Almighty Time, Kal, now inclined to and engaged in the destruction of worlds, and warriors of the opposing armies are going to die, even without your killing them. He further adds, Tasmatva muttishthaya sholabhasva Jitva shatrun bhungshva rajyam samhritham Mayaivaite nihata purvameva so you should get up and earn renown and enjoy a thriving and affluent kingdom by vanquishing your enemies, because these warriors have already been killed by me, and you, O Savyasachin Arjun, have to be just the nominal agent of their destruction. Krishna has said repeatedly that God neither acts himself nor causes others to act and does not even devise coincidences. It is only because of their deluded minds that people believe that every action is effected by God. But here we have Krishna himself getting up and saying that he has already annihilated his foes. Arjun has to do nothing more save merely taking the credit for this by making just a gesture of killing them. This again takes us back to his essential nature. Arjuna is the image of affectionate devotion, and God is ever inclined to help and support such loving worshippers. He is a doer for them, their charioteer. This is the third occasion when the idea of, quote, kingdom occurs in the Gita. Initially, Arjun did not want to fight, and he told Krishna that he could not see how his becoming an uncontested ruler of a thriving and wealthy kingdom on the earth, or even an Indra-like lord of gods, could wipe out the grief that was wearing out his senses. He did not want either of these if his grief was to persist even after his achievement of these rewards. Yogeshwar Krishna then told him that in case of defeat in the war, he would be rewarded with heavenly existence and, in case of victory, with attainment of the Supreme Spirit. And now he says that the enemies have already been slain by him and that Arjun only has to act simply as a proxy 
to win both renown and rulership of a thriving realm. Does Krishna mean by this that he is going to bestow upon Arjun the very worldly rewards with which he is so evidently disillusioned, the rewards in which he cannot see the end of his misery? Such, however, is not the case. The promised reward is the ultimate union with God that results from a destruction of all contradictions of the material world. This is the only permanent attainment, which is never destroyed, and which is an outcome of Raja Yoga, the highest form of all yoga. So Krishna once more exhorts Arjuna to Destroy without any fear Dronacharya, Bhishma, Jayadrath, Karn, and the many other warriors who have already been killed by me, and fight because you will doubtlessly vanquish your foes. Here again, Krishna exhorts Arjuna to kill the enemies who have already been destroyed by Krishna. Does not this suggest that Krishna is the doer, whereas he had said explicitly in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 5 that God is a non-doer? Apart from this, he will later assert that there are only five means by which both good and evil actions are executed. Basis, the governing power under the auspices of which something is done. The agent, mind. The instruments or means, senses as well as disposition. Efforts or exertions, desires. And providence, which is determined by actions in previous existence. They who say that God is the sole doer are ignorant and deceived. What then is the explanation for this contradiction? The truth is that there is a dividing line between nature and the Supreme Spirit. So long as the influence of the objects of nature is dominant, universal ignorance, maya, is the motivating force. But after a worshipper has transcended nature, he succeeds in gaining admission to the sphere of action of the adored God, or, in other words, of the accomplished teacher. Let us not forget that in the sense of motivator, an accomplished teacher, the individual soul, the supreme soul, the object of worship, and God are all synonymous. The directions received by the worshiper all come from God. After this stage, God, or the accomplished teacher, arising from the soul of the worshiper himself, is present in his heart like a charioteer who guides him on the right path. The revered Maharajaji used to say, Mark that the act of worship has not commenced adequately until the worshiper is aware of his self and God has come down to his level. Henceforth, whatever he does is a gift from God. 
the worshipper then goes along the way only according to God's signals and directions. The worshipper's success is a grace of God. It is God who sees through the eyes of the worshipper, shows him the path, and so enables him at last to become one with himself. This is what Krishna means when he tells Arjuna to kill his enemies. Arjuna will surely win, for God himself is standing by him. Sanjay further said to Dhritarashtra, Trembling with fear at hearing these words of Keshav, Krishna, and overwhelmed by feeling, Arjun thus spoke to Krishna with folded hands and reverent humbleness. Sanjay has seen exactly what Arjun has seen. Dhritarashtra is blind, but even he can see, hear, and understand clearly through restraint. That is, Sanjay. Arjun said, It is but right, O Rishikesh, that men rejoice in singing praises of your name and glory. Demons flee helter-skelter out of fear of your glory, and accomplished sages bow to you in reverence. Kasmachatena nameran mahatman Gariya se brahmanopyadikartre Ananta devesha jagannivasa Tvamaksharam sadasattatparam yat What else can they do, O great soul, besides paying homage to you when you are, O God of gods and primal energy of the universe, the imperishable Supreme Spirit, who is beyond all being and non-being. Arjun can speak so, because he has had a direct vision of the imperishable God. Just a view or assumption at the intellectual level cannot lead one to realization of the indestructible Supreme Spirit. Our Jun's vision of God is an inner perception. Tvamadi Deva Purusha Purana Tvamasya Vishvasya Param Nidhanam 
You, O Infinite, are the primal God, eternal spirit, the ultimate heaven of the world, seer, worthy of realization, the supreme goal, and the all-pervading. As you are the wind, the god of death, Yamraj, fire, the rain god, Varun, the moon, the lord of all creation, and even the primal root of Brahma. I bow before you a thousand times, and even more. So overwhelmed is Arjun by his faith and dedication, that even after paying obeisance again and again, he is not contented. So he continues with his tributes. Since you possess, O the Imperishable and Almighty, infinite prowess, and are the God, who is omnipresent, you are honored everywhere by all. Thus bowing repeatedly in obeisance, Arjun begs for forgiveness for his errors. Sakheti matva prasabham yaduktam Yachavahasarthamasatkritosi I seek your forgiveness, O the Infinite, for all the indiscreet words I might have spoken to you for taking the undue liberty of addressing you as Krishna and Yadav, for any disrespect I might have inadvertently shown you in the course of frivolous dalliance or repose or while eating meals, O Achyut, infallible one, or while we were together, alone or with others, out of my feeling that you are my intimate friend, and because of carelessness arising from my ignorance, 
of your true magnificence. Arjun has the courage to beg for Krishna's forgiveness for his mistakes because of his conviction that Krishna is indifferent to all of them, that he will forgive him because he is father of mankind, the noblest of teachers, and truly worthy of reverent worship. Since no one in the three worlds can even equal you, who are father of the animate and inanimate worlds, the greatest of all teachers, most venerable, and of immense magnificence, how can anyone else be superior to you? Tasmat pranamya pranidhaya kayam prasadayetvamahamishamidyam piteva putrasya sakheva sakyu priya priyayarhasideva sodhum so, throwing myself at your feet and bowing to you in the humblest homage, I beseech you, O the most adorable God, to forgive my errors as a father forgives his son, a friend his friend, and a loving husband his beloved wife. Arjun is convinced that Krishna alone is large-hearted enough to be indulgent to his faults. But what, after all, is his error? By what other name than Krishna could he address his dark-skinned friend? Should we call a black man white? Is it a sin to call a spade a spade? Calling Krishna a Yadav also could not be wrong, because Krishna had a Yadav family ancestry. Neither was it an offense to call him a friend, because Krishna also regards Arjun as an intimate friend. Obviously, however, Arjun is abjectly apologetic because he believes that his addressing Krishna as Krishna is an offense. The way of meditation is essentially the one that Krishna has laid down. He counseled Arjun in the 13th verse of chapter 8 to recite Om and contemplate him. Om, we remember, is a symbol of the imperishable God. Arjun was told to recite the sacred syllable and visualize Krishna's image. For Om, which stands for the unmanifest supreme being, is also a symbol of the sage after he has attained to the supreme goal of God-realization. When Arjun has a clear vision of Krishna's true magnificence, it strikes him that he is neither white nor black, and not even a friend or a Yadav. He is but a great soul, that has become one and identical with the imperishable Supreme Spirit. In the whole of the Gita, Krishna has on five different occasions stressed the importance of reciting Om. If we have to pray, let us recite Om rather than the name of Krishna. 
sentimental worshippers usually manage to invent some way or the other. While one of them is dismayed by controversy over the propriety or otherwise of reciting Om, another one appeals to sages, and yet another who is eager to quickly ingratiate himself with Krishna also appends Radha to his name. True that they do all this out of devotion, but their prayers are marked by excessive sentiment. If we have a real feeling for Krishna, we must obey his instruction. Although abiding in the unmanifest, he is always present before us, even if we are unable to see him because of inadequate vision. His voice is with us, but we cannot hear it. There will be little profit in our study of the Gita if we do not obey him, although one advantage of such a study is always there. The man who listens to and learns the Gita gains an awareness of knowledge and yajna, and so attains to more exalted bodies. So study is imperative. An uninterrupted sequence of the name Krishna fails to materialize while we are meditating in a state of breath control. Out of sheer emotion, some men recite just the name of Radha, a celebrated gopi or cowherdist loved by Krishna. Is it not a common practice to flatter the wives of unapproachable functionaries? It is hardly surprising then that many of us believe that we can please God in the same way. So we even stop uttering Krishna and begin to recite simply Radha, hoping that she will facilitate admittance to him. But how can the poor Radha do this when she herself could not be united with Krishna? So instead of paying any heed to what others have to say, let us recite only Om. At the same time, it must be admitted that Radha should be our ideal. We have to dedicate ourselves to God with the intensity of her devotion to her loved one. It is essential that we be like her, pining away in separation from Krishna. Arjun addressed his friend as Krishna because that was his actual name. Similarly, quite a number of worshippers recite the name of their teacher preceptor out of sentiment. But as it has already been shown, after realization a sage becomes one with the unmanifest God in whom he abides. So, many disciples ask, when we contemplate you, why should we not, O teacher, Recite your name or that of Krishna instead of the traditional Om. But Yogeshwar Krishna has made it quite explicit here that after attainment a sage is possessed of the same name as that of the Supreme Spirit in whom he has merged. Krishna then is an appellation rather than a name for recital during Yajna. When Arjuna begs for indulgence for his offenses, and pleads with him to revert to his usual benign form, Krishna both forgives him and accedes to his request. Arjuna's plea for mercy is made in the following verse. Adrishtapurvam rishitosmi drishtva Bhayena cha pravyatitam manomi 
प्रसीद Be appeased, O the infinite and God of gods, and show me your merciful form, because although I rejoice at beholding your wondrous all-pervading form, which I had not viewed before, my mind is also afflicted with terror. Till now, Yogeshwar Krishna has appeared before Arjun in his omnipresent form. Since Arjun has not seen it ever before, it is quite natural that he is filled at once with joy and dread. His mind is deeply agitated. Earlier, perhaps, Arjun had prided himself on the excellence of his skill of archery and even thought himself superior to Krishna in that respect. But a sight of the Lord's all-pervasive immensity fills him with awe. After hearing in the last chapter of Krishna's glories, he had evidently begun to take himself as a man of knowledge and wisdom. But one who is endowed with knowledge and wisdom, in the true sense, is beyond any fear. The experience of a direct perception of God has, in fact, a unique effect. Even after a worshipper has heard and learnt everything in theory, it remains for him to gain an awareness of the reality by practice and personal experience. When Arjun has such a vision, he is overwhelmed at once by joy and dread, and his mind is shaken. So he entreats Krishna to resume his placid, compassionate form. Kiritinam gadinam chakrahastam Ichchami tvam drashtumaham tathaiva Tenaiva rupena chatur ujena Sahasra baho bhava vishvamurte Since I long to see you, O oh, the thousand-armed omnipresent God, as I beheld you earlier, wearing a crown and armed with a mace and your chakra, I pray you to resume your four-armed shape. Let us see what this form of Krishna is with four arms. The Lord said, I have compassionately revealed to you, O Arjun, by an exercise of my power of yoga, my resplendent, primeval, infinite, omnipresent form, which no one else has beheld before. (laughs) 
ಶಕ್ಯಹಂಲೋಕೆ ಓ ದ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಡಿಸ್ಟಿಂಗ್ವಿಶ್ಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಕೂರು ಅರ್ಜುನ್ ನೋ ಒನ್ ಎಲ್ಸ್ ಬಿಸೈಡ್ಸ್ ಯು ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಮೋರ್ಟಲ್ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಕೇಪಬಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಸೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಮೈ ಇನ್ಫಿನಿಟ್ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸಲ್ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ವಿಚ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಬಿ ನೋನ್ ನೈದರ್ ಬೈ ಸ್ಟಡಿ ಆಫ್ ದ ವೆಡ್ ನೋರ್ ಬೈ ಪರ್ಫಾರ್ಮೆನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಯಾಗ್ಯ ನೋರ್ ಈವನ್ ಬೈ ಚಾರಿಟಿ ಆರ್ ವರ್ಚುವಸ್ ಡೀಡ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ರಿಗರಸ್ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಆಸ್ಟೆರಿಟೀಸ್ If the assertions made by Krishna in the verse above as well as his assurance to Arjun that no one except him is able to see Krishna's immense all pervading form are true the Gita has hardly any use for us in that case then the ability to perceive God belongs to Arjun alone on the other hand however Krishna also pointed out to him before that many sages in earlier times who concentrated on him with a mind that was free from passion fear and wrath and who purified themselves by the penance of knowledge had succeeded in attaining to his form but now he surprisingly affirms that neither has anyone known his cosmic manifestation in the past nor will anyone know it in the future who after all is this arjun is he not a corporal frame like all of us as represented in the gita he is an embodiment of tender affection no man devoid of this feeling could see in the past and no man devoid of this feeling can see in the future this quality of love requires a worshiper to draw his mind from all externals and devote it to the desired god alone only by the ordained way can one who approaches god with love realize him acceding to arjuna's entreaties krishna now appears in his four-armed form mate vyatha ma cha vimudha bhavo drishtva rupam ghorami drimmamedam Behold again my four-armed form, bearing a lotus, a conch, a mace, and my chakra, so that you are freed from the confusions and fears inspired by my terrible manifestation, and think of me with nothing but affection. Sanjay further said to Dhritarashtra, 
After thus speaking to Arjun, Lord Vasudev again revealed his earlier form, and the sage like Krishna thus comforted the frightened Arjun by manifesting to him his placid form. Thereafter, Arjun said, O oh, Janadar and Krishna, I have regained my composure and tranquility of mind by seeing this, your most benevolent human form. Arjun had pleaded with the Lord to appear in his four-armed shape. But what does he see when Krishna accedes to his request and appears in the desired form? What else but the human form? In truth, the terms four-armed and many-armed are used for sages after they have achieved the supreme goal. The two-armed sage teacher is very much with his loving pupil, but someone from elsewhere remembers also, and the same sage then, awakened by the spirit of that power, is transformed into the charioteer who guides the seeker on to the right path. Arm is a symbol of action. So our arms function not only externally, but also internally. This is the four-armed form. The conch, chakra, mace, and lotus, carried by Krishna's four arms, are all symbolic, standing respectively for an affirmation of the true goal, the conch, commencement of the cycle of attainment, the chakra, subduing of the senses, the mace, and competence in action that is unblemished and pure, the lotus. That is why Arjun views the four-armed Krishna as a human. Rather than meaning that there was some four-armed Krishna, the expression, quote, four-armed, is but a metaphor for the special mode of action that sages accomplish with their body as well as soul. The Lord said, This form of mine which you have seen is the most rare, because even gods ever pine for a view of it. This placid, benevolent manifestation of Krishna is the most uncommon, and even gods yearn to see it. That is to say, that it is not possible for all to recognize a sage for what he is. 
the most revered Satsangaji Maharajaji, the accomplished teacher of my revered teacher Maharajaji, was one such saint with a truly awakened soul, but most of the people regarded him as a madman. Only a very few virtuous men learnt from heavenly signs that he was a sage of noble accomplishment, and only these men then grasped him with all their heart, attained his metaphysical form, and reached the desired goal. This is what Krishna suggests when he tells Arjun that gods who have consciously stored their hearts with the treasure of divinity hanker after a view of his four-armed form. As to whether he can be known by yagya, charity, or study of the Ved, Krishna states, My four-armed form, which you have seen, is beyond knowing by either study of the Ved, or by penance, or by charity, and not even by munificence or performance of yagya. The one way by which he may be perceived is disclosed in the following verse. O Arjun, a man of great penance, a worshipper, can know this form of mind directly, acquire its essence, and even become one with it by a total and unswerving dedication. The one way to attain to the Supreme Spirit is perfect intentness, the state in which a worshipper remembers nothing besides the adored goal. As we have seen in chapter 7, even knowledge is finally transformed into total devotion. Krishna said a little while earlier that no one besides Arjun had seen him before, and no one would ever see him in the future. But he now reveals that by such single-minded devotion, worshippers can not only see him, but also realize him directly and become one with him. So Arjun is the name of such a wholly dedicated worshipper, the name of a state of mind and heart rather than of a person. All-absorbing love itself is Arjun. So Yogeshwar Krishna says at last,
This man, O Arjun, who acts only for my sake, Matkarma, rests on and is dedicated to me alone, Matparma, in complete detachment, Sangvarjita, and freedom from malice towards all beings, Nirvaira Sarbhutashu, knows and attains to me. The four essential requirements of the evolutionary discipline by which a man can achieve spiritual perfection or transcendence, of which human life is the means, are indicated by the terms Matkarma, Matparma, Sangvarjita, and Nirvaira Sarvabhutashu. Matkarma means performance of the ordained act, the act of yagya. Matparma is the necessity of the worshippers taking refuge in Krishna and of complete devotion to him. The required action is impossible to accomplish without total disinterestedness in worldly objects and the fruits of action, Sangvarjata. The last, but not the least requirement, is Nirvaira Sarvabhutashu, absence of malice or ill will towards all beings. Only a worshipper fulfilling these four conditions can attain to Krishna. It hardly needs saying that if the four ways urged by the last verse of the chapter are observed, the resulting state is one in which external war and physical bloodshed are simply out of the question. That is one more instance that the Gita is not about external fighting. There is not one verse in the poem that supports the idea of physical violence or killing. When we have sacrificed ourselves through yagya, remember only God and no one else, are completely detached from both nature and the rewards of our action, and when there is no malignity in us toward any being, with whom and for what shall we fight? The four observances lead a worshipper to the stage at which he stands entirely alone. If there is no one with him, who shall he fight? According to Krishna, Arjun has known him. This would not be possible if there were even the slightest touch of malice about him. So it is evident that the war waged by Arjun in the Gita is against fearful enemies such as attachment and repulsion infatuation and malice, and desire and anger, that rise up in the way of the worshipper when he engages in the task of single-minded contemplation, after having achieved an attitude of detachment to worldly objects as well as rewards. Thus concludes the eleventh chapter in the Upanishad of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita on the knowledge of the Supreme Spirit, the discipline of yoga, and the dialogue between Krishna and Arjun entitled Vishrup Darshan Yoga or Revelation of the Omnipresent. Thus concludes Swami Adgaranand's exposition of the 11th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita in Yatart Gita. Hari Om Tat Sat.